Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, everybody. I'm having my guys bring the whiteboard up here. I'm going to be the nerd teacher today with the whiteboard, so I enjoy doing this. Thanks, guys. All right, well, howdy, everybody. It is good to see y'all today. I am uh, continuing a sermon series on Christianity and the culture, and I've said this before, but I want us to think about just uh, where we are in the culture and how it affects us as God's people. And what I'm doing is I'm hoping that this series will help us think about just what's happening in our world today and also how it affects us as Christians. So we're going to be, again, thinking about the culture. I want to do a quick review of my sermon from a couple weeks ago. I'm going to try to do this every time, just kind of do a review as a refresher because I realize I'm thinking about this stuff all the time, but other people are not. So, So I've talked about why I'm doing this sermon series. One is to expose the darkness. Uh, in Ephesians 5.11, we've looked at this before, but, but Paul writes this. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So God tells us to expose the darkness. Don't take part in unfruitful works of darkness, but expose it. And there is a darkness all around us, right? The culture that we live in is very dark. The culture that we live in does not rejoice in the light of Jesus Christ. So we're told to expose the darkness. Um, also, for us as Christians, it's the darkness is not just in the culture out there. The darkness is also in our own hearts. Even us as believers, there's darkness in here. So, in this sermon series, I want to expose the darkness uh, uh, not only of of the culture but also of our own hearts and see where we're believing lies that we don't even realize we're believing because the culture just influences. It's like fish swimming in water; you just don't even realize it's there, but it has a huge influence. Also, I'm preaching the sermons for us, the series for us to, to get wisdom. Uh, I want us to gain wisdom. I want us to have a better understanding of what's happening around us. And try to, my hope is that you'll start seeing connections and how, why things are happening and, and things will start making more sense to you. Um, in Matthew 10, 1, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 10, 16, Jesus tells his followers this. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves And he says, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So we're called to be as innocent as doves. We're called to be people who who love the Lord, who are righteous, who love our neighbors. But we're also called to be as wise as serpents. Again, we need wisdom. We want to understand what is happening around us. And so I'm convinced that we need to do the hard work of of understanding the culture again and how it influences us. Okay, so that was from my last sermon. Today I'm going to give you another reason why I'm preaching. I may actually give you two reasons why I'm preaching this series. Um, God calls us to be watchful. Many times in Scripture we see that God calls us to be watchful and, and to stay awake and not fall asleep at what's happening around us. I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is a couple of verses, but I, I love these verses. It's 1 Corinthians 16. This is at the very end of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. First Corinthians 16, we're going to look at 13 and 14. And this is just sort of, a, again, a reason why I want to preach this series, sort of a launching point. 
for today. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes this, and so God is telling us through Paul. He says, be watchful, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And then verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. So God calls us to, again, be watchful, to not, to not fall asleep about what's happening around us. We want, we want to, to, to observe and think about what is happening. The Proverbs tell us to do this all the time as well, to look out and figure out what is happening around us. So we need to be watchful. Also, he commands us, to, it says, to stand firm, to act like men and be strong. Okay? So we must remain faithful to the Lord. And many times... Although it's less in Georgia, it's less in Walton County, and we praise God for that. But the culture is, is influencing us in a way and pressing in on us. If you hold to a biblical sexuality, for example, you're not going to be applauded even in our culture today. So we must remain faithful to the Lord, and we're going to have to be strong. We're going to have, many times we're going to have to be tough because we must remain committed to God and his word. We can't back down from our commitment to Christ. But also notice this, look at verse 14, after he says this about being committed and strong and being watchful in verse 14, Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. And I love this because the Lord is reminding us here that while we, again, while we have to stand firm, we have to be uncompromising in our commitment to God and his word, we must also be loving. Everything we do must be done in love. And, and many times I share with the Sunday school in Ephesians you know this verse, right? Uh, speak the truth in love. So many times we're called to be faithful, stand firm, and be loving. And my challenge for you on an individual basis, this is what I've noticed with most of us. If, if I say speak the truth in love, most of us will latch on to one or the other. <laughs> most of us are either truth people or we're love people, right? So some of us are speak the truth in love. Or some of us are speak the truth in love, Right? So my challenge for you, you probably know where you are on that spectrum. My challenge is to go the other way and, and try, to, try to see where you are and try to, if, you, if you're more of the loving, think about more of the truth. Or, or like in, in 1 Corinthians 16, be watchful, stand firm. If you're more of the truth, uncompromising, that's, you're on that end of the spectrum, think about being caring and loving. I just ask the Lord to speak to you in that, Okay. All right, so in this sermon series in, in, on Christianity and culture, one of the things I also want to do, it's not just for us, but and I'm hoping you'll have opportunities with conversations, but I want to lovingly challenge our non-Christian friends who may have dismissed Christianity out of hand. That's something that I want to do as a preacher on a regular basis is to try to challenge non-Christians and try to remove barriers to the faith. I've talked about this before. Uh, I, I want to, to the extent that there are barriers to someone putting their faith in Christ, I want to do what I can to remove those barriers. And to our non-Christian friends too, I would encourage our non-Christian friends that I realize when I'm talking, especially talking about the culture, I realize that, that these folks are going to try to punch holes in my argument, right? They're going to try to find fault in my argument. They're going to look, be looking for weaknesses in what I'm saying. And if there's a non-Christian here who's like that, I I'll just say this, that's fine, you can do that, but what I would ask you to do is to give this a fair hearing, to give this a fair hearing. Instead of just looking for holes in my argument, I would ask that you honestly listen to what I'm saying and see if it makes sense, see if things start connecting. 
Even more important, my prayer is that you'll listen to what God says in his word. We recited Psalm 1. God speaks to us, and my prayer for for my non-Christian friends is that you will hear God speaking to you. And and maybe even asking questions like, is your life really what you wanted? Does your life have meaning and purpose? Do you know the joy of being loved by the God who created you? Okay, so that's my my challenge to our non-Christian friends. Be willing to evaluate your own life. In other words, be willing to say, you know what? I need to listen to God. I need to change. That's what I'm asking for our non-Christian friends. And even for, for us as believers, right? We always need to evaluate ourselves and see where we need to change and where we maybe are not listening to what God has said. All right, again, we live nowadays in a post-Christian, really anti-Christian culture, especially when it comes to the area of sexuality. And, and Christians who are committed to what God says about sexuality, they're considered, oftentimes they're, we're considered ridiculous. Oftentimes we're considered even dangerous. And I mentioned this last time. So many of the things that are happening in the culture are related. It's not just the sexual stuff. There are a lot of things happening in our culture and in the church, and it may look like they're unrelated But I'm hoping, again, that as we go through this, you'll start to be able to see some of the connections that are going on. Because a lot of things that are happening, they spring from the same root. They come from the same ideas or the same way of viewing the world. The stuff that's related to sexuality, like homosexuality, transgender stuff, sexual immorality in our culture, that's the most obvious. But there are other things that are happening that are kind of unique to our culture that are related, and I've I've mentioned this before, things like endless amusement, just massive hours playing video games or mindless scrolling on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Uh, also the rise of cancel culture, the elimination almost of free speech in our culture, people getting on college campuses getting shut down, on Twitter accounts getting shut down, this cancel culture where you can't even have a debate about ideas anymore. That's related as well. Uh, so if you, if you don't go along with the crowd, you're canceled. Also, how the current culture affects the church, and it affects the church in a huge way. Oftentimes, the church today focuses more on therapy and feeling good. Um, and I've talked about how in sermons, this is a problem in the church, when sermons sound more like self-help sessions, like TED Talks, when there's very little focus on the deep truths of the Bible, when there's very little focus on the work of Jesus Christ, his atoning death on the cross and his resurrection. There's very little doctrine, but there's lots of emotion. When that's happening and you get a lot of therapy and it's all focused on me being happy and rich or feeling better or whatever, when that's the focus, you end up with a very weak church. And that's what we have today. And that is a real burden for me, especially when I think about young people who are leaving the church in droves. I do not want that to happen at WCC. And I'm convinced it's not going to happen at WCC. Okay, so I'm very hopeful, and we'll talk about hope at the end as well. All right, so these are all the reasons why I'm preaching this series, Uh, and I said this last time, and I hope I can remember to say it every week. I want us to understand the culture better than the culture understands itself. I really want us to be equipped, okay? And and I, I mentioned this too in Sunday school. I want our young people to see that this church is not full, full of a bunch of morons, that we have no idea with what's going on. I want our young people and all of us to understand that this church is, really has some wisdom. And they, when they go to, to school or whatever and they hear 
professors act like they're super smart or whatever, like even if they don't remember anything from the series, they can think to themselves, yeah, I remember pastor talking about that. Or, I remember the church discussing this. this is not, they're not going to be run over by that, okay? All right, so, we, so I'm asking us to do the hard work of seeking wisdom. There are a lot of things that are happening in our culture, as I said, that look unrelated, but, but you start to see that there they're, uh, comes from the same sort of root. And what is the root? What is the root that is common to this? I think the biggest one is what is driving what is happening around us is this. It's our understanding of the self, our understanding of the self, our understanding of who we are. So that's what I want to spend some time thinking about today, about the difference between Christianity and our culture, especially when it relates to the self, who we are, all right? So I've got the whiteboard here. I've also got uh, some slides. I think I'm going to, if I could get the first slide up and if my guys can just try to keep up with that. Yeah, it's, it's a little easier to see. I've got more detail on that. So what Christianity teaches, one of the things is the focus is to be outward and upward, okay? So the focus of Christianity is to be outward, so and upward. So what I mean by upward is the goal of purpose or of life is for us to love God. To, to, as I say on the thing, to have eternal an eternal love relationship with God, with the triune God. And I'll talk more about the, the importance of the triune God. What I mean by that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is Trinity, and that matters, and we'll, we'll talk about it later. But the purpose of life is to have an eternal love relationship with God. And you can see this in This is Matthew 22. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, but listen to what Jesus said. He is asked by the Pharisees. They say, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Now, if someone were to ask you, what's the most, if you could have one, the most important commandment, the the, the one simple rule, right? The one simple trick. If you could have one law by which to live, what would it be? What's the most important thing for you to know? Here's what Jesus says. He says, this is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, to love God. We're called to be in a love relationship with God, and it's eternal. It lasts throughout eternity. It doesn't just end when we die. So this is the most important thing. This is the purpose of life. And then he says this, and this has to do with reaching outward. So that's upward. And Jesus says the second command is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these are so familiar to us, a lot of times we don't think about it. But think about the significance of what Jesus is saying here. This is the most important thing for us is to love God and love our neighbor. All right? So So that's one of the things is to love God and then to love others. It Notice it's outward directed. Our lives are to be outward directed to drawing near to God and drawing near in love and serving other people. Also, in, in loving others, this is another one. And think about this is a culture today. I've got Philippians 2.3 up there. It says this, do nothing from selfish ambition. <laughs> Our culture is one of selfish ambition. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. We're to be people who love God or upward directed and outward directed to love others, to consider others more important than ourselves. All right, also, that what we could say in the middle part, so this is the goal of life, the chief end, right? 
the, the, what is the mission, sort of the mission of our lives? The, the path that we're on, for us as believers, what we know is we are sinful. The self is sinful, and we are called to be transformed, to grow in holiness, to grow in love for God. We're called to be transformed. Turn with me to, to Romans chapter 12. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Paul gives us this great passage, just a huge passage for us as believers. This is another thing that I really want us to be down in our souls. Romans chapter 12, it's one book to the left of 1 Corinthians. Romans 12, and we'll look at verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, or do not, we could say, do not be conformed to the culture, this world's sinful values. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God has called us, this is a mission of our lives, the, 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 is to love the Lord, to draw near to him, and, and, and move from this self. We understand that the self is sinful. We have a natural bent to please self, to, be, to disobey God, and we're called to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, our minds being changed by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, okay? So this is what we're called to do. We're called to grow closer to the Lord, we're called to grow in love and obedience and holiness and, and happiness. That's one of the things I want to stress is there's the joy of being a believer. This is all tied in together and being transformed. And all of this, as I said up there, all of this displays how glorious God is, how awesome he is. When we are living for him, when we're upward directed and we're outward directed, loving other people, caring for others, wanting to, to draw nearer to the Lord, when all this is happening, all this displays how important he is to us. How, how he, the kid's saying, he matters to me, right? I matter to him and he matters to me. All that is showing how glorious and awesome God is. In other words, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And I put it on there too, to glorify God, it says, and enjoy him forever. But, but Jonathan Edwards and John Piper have talked about the fact that one of the ways we can glorify God and show how awesome he is is by, is by enjoying him forever. When you enjoy God, when you're happy in Jesus, it shows how glorious he is, okay? So all of this is displaying just how, how wonderful, how glorious our Lord is, all right? All right, so now let me go on to this identity. So that's, that's goal, purpose. Let me go on to identity. Who, in other words, who we are. As, as a self, who am I? Just my identity. And something I want for us, and it takes a long time, and it's really hard, but I, I want us to have sort of in the back of our minds, almost like the back burner, we don't even consciously think about it, but we have our identity rooted in Christ, that we belong to him. So the Christian understanding of identity is that, it, it, again, it's connected to, it's wanting to, to, to love others and to love God. He has first priority in my life, and this is my identity. So my identity is, is things like this, that I belong to Jesus Christ. Our Heidelberg Catechism, we said last month, is that I don't belong to myself, I belong 
to Jesus Christ, my faithful Savior Jesus. That's who I belong to. It's not self-centered. It's I belong to the Lord. Also, this is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. This is where the Heidelberg Catechism gets this phrase. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Jesus Christ died for you. He paid for you. You belong to him when he died on the cross. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. He owns you, Christian. He owns me, okay? So this is who we are as believers. We are to be people who are, this is our identity. We are, we're created by God. We're loved by God. We're saved by God. We're adopted by God. We're his children. You can put your faith in Jesus. You get the unspeakable privilege of being adopted into his family. I'm his son. You're his child. We belong. We're part of this family. This is our identity. It's, it's focused on who God is, what Christ has done for us. This is who I am, okay? Also, my identity, and, and it's, it's lesser important, but it does have to do with, with who I am. It is, in some ways, outward-directed because when you love others, you have responsibility and commitment for others, and so that's part of your identity, too. So, like parents, we're to honor and obey our parents. Part of my identity is I'm the son of Raj and Jenny. That's my identity. I'm a child. I am, uh, as a husband, I have responsibilities. Part of my identity is being the husband of Andy. I'm the father of Walker, Nate, Drew, and Shelby. This is part of my identity, right? My neighbors, I'm a member of Walton County. I'm a pastor of, of Walton Community Church. All these things are outward directed, and this is part of my identity too. Now, my core identity is God, right? But, but part, of my, part of my identity also, and, and this is just involves in loving others and, and having responsibility and commitment to others, my identity is involved in other people as well, okay? This is part, as I said, this is part of loving people. You make commitments to them. You don't leave them when they don't please you. This is part of, of our identity. All right, and then finally, I'll just briefly touch on this about institutions. I'm not going to go into a bunch of stuff about institutions, but in, in the whole scheme of things, it, the, the way that Christianity understands things is I, for example, the church, I, me as an individual, I'm not more important than the church. The church of Jesus Christ as a whole worldwide is more important than me, myself and I, right? So institutions are here before I get here and they're going to be around after I get here. So in some ways, God is, God is the number one priority, but in other ways, others for us consider others better than yourself. That includes good, godly institutions, but they are, they're more important than myself. So these are, this is a priority for us as God's people. And, and God has used, has ordained institutions, especially things like family and church, to mold and shape us. This is why, if you, for example, if you have a healthy family, it is going to mold everybody in that family in a good way. Not just kids. Kids are, are huge, but also within the marriage. God uses the marriage to mold us and shape us. So families, mold, God, families are a means that God uses to shape the self. And again, I've got the outward responsibility, of, responsibility and commitment, but all these things, church, community, schools, all these things God uses as a means to transform us, back to being transformed, all right? So this is what institutions do when they're working as they should. They are used by God, all right? And then finally, I've got a, th a thing about uh, our, 
or uh, what is the standard of right and wrong? This is, again, this is Christian worldview, the standard of right and wrong. There's an absolute right and wrong. And it doesn't matter if people agree with it. It doesn't matter if the majority votes it in. There is a standard of right and wrong. And it's absolute. And it's God and his word. He is the standard. So we ask the questions, how do I know if my thoughts and actions and desires are good or bad? How do I know that? The way I know is Psalm 1, the importance of his word. We, we look to what God has said. And we trust, this is part of faith too, we trust that he knows what is best for us. And that he gives us his law, not because he's a grouch. He gives us his law because he loves us. He cares about us. He knows what's best for us. Okay? So this is, so, so the, the standard of right and wrong is God and his word. Uh, also, these, these passages about what we need to understand about our hearts deceiving us. Our hearts deceive us. And I think most of us realize that that's the case. The desires we have are not all good. Every single desire that comes upon you is not good for you and other people, right? We realize that. I think even non-Christians realize that our hearts deceive us. So this is, I got Proverbs 14, 12. We've looked at this before, but listen, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Where people around us, they think what they're doing is right. They're absolutely convinced. They have no question that the path that they're on is the right one. But if it's not God's path, it's one that leads to death. That's just the way, that's a sober truth. Jeremiah 17.9 is another one. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts, our minds, our desires are sick. They're sinful. Nowadays, people think that everybody's naturally good, right? Despite what you look around. I mean, that, that never has made sense to me. But what, what Christianity understands is that we're sinful. Our hearts are deceitful. And the thing about, I've stressed this before, the thing about deceitfulness of sin and deceitfulness of our own hearts is you don't realize you're being deceived, if you knew you were being deceived, then you wouldn't be deceived anymore. So the people are absolutely convinced that what they're doing is right, that their desires are good, and they're being deceived. And then uh, we've got James 1, 14 and 15. Understand that my desires will lead me astray because I'm sinful. Listen, listen to James 1, 14 and 15. This is an awesome passage. James says, but each person is tempted... When he is lured and enticed by his own desire, he's lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we have these desires. We allow them to take over that are sinful. They give birth to sin, and then it leads to death. And this is the way our culture is going today. You go away from Christ, you go away from God, you follow sinful desires, it's a path toward self-destruction, okay? But this is the way, this is Christianity, this is truth, okay? What I've been saying, this is the truth. All right, now, over the past hundred years, and especially over the past 60 years probably, a big change has happened. A huge change has happened in the way, especially we view self, okay? So now we're going to look at the culture, the culture's understanding of the self, the culture's understanding of things like 
desire and the heart and all that. Nowadays, the culture's understanding of the goal or the purpose or the meaning of life is that dignity comes through freedom and autonomy. So it's about, so it's about like choice and freedom and desires and thoughts, and ultimately it's about seeking happiness. So I mentioned the uh, quote from the Supreme Court decision when I, when I talked about the Dobbs decision overruling Roe versus Wade. There's a Supreme Court decision called Casey versus Planned Parenthood. And Justice Anthony Kennedy gives this quote about what it means to be human. And basically he says it's the right to define your own existence, the right to define the universe. You make the choice. Being autonomous, that's what it means to be human. That's the goal of life It's just to define your own existence. So that's what the Supreme Court has said, as I said in Casey, and it's a good understanding of the way the culture views the world. So we're free to make choices and to pursue self-fulfillment and happiness, and everybody should be encouraged to make these choices. And what we'll see later on is you can see why Christianity looks bad to people, because if I want to make choices and I want to do this, and God says I can't do that, then God is bad. He's bumping up against my will. And so God looks bad in that. And Christianity is just dismissed out of hand because I'm not free to do whatever I want to do. That's why Christianity looks bad to people in our culture. When again, God loves us and he knows what's best for us. And it's not we're in competition or conflict with God. He loves us and he does everything out of love for us. So also with this, the self is fixed. In other words, the self is not to be transformed unless I choose it. If I choose it, that's fine. But otherwise, the self is fixed. So the meaning of life is to follow my desires and dreams. You've heard this, right? Follow your dreams. Don't let anyone tell you not to pursue your dreams, you know? In pursuit of fulfillment and happiness. So it's personal fulfillment, personal happiness. And I should follow, as I've got up there, I should follow my desires, especially sexual desires, not suppress them. You've heard that, haven't you? Don't suppress that. It's dangerous to suppress that because your desires are the real you, okay? Your desires and thoughts, that's your true identity. That's the real me. All right, the next one is identity. Speaking of identity, an identity, remember, for Christians, we understand that that the goal of life is outward. It's, It's upward to God. It's outward to love other people. All of the culture today is right here. It's all inward. It's all self-focused all the time. Our identity is found inside of self. Everything is inward-directed. That's what you'll notice about the culture. It's all inward-directed to my thoughts and desires. These things form my identity, okay? And so what we have here, remember in Christianity, it's it's, we're outward-directed, our identity. I'm a child of God. I'm a a husband to Andy. I have these responsibilities and commitments, Now, our identity is inward-directed. So, what you have on God, if God is even in the equation for folks today, he's only good if he's going to help me. He's he's my cosmic bellboy. So, uh, the, the MTD thing up there, the MTD on the screen, what that means is moralistic therapeutic deism. And it is the default religion of today. And, and what I mean by that is, and you can talk to me, if, by the way, you can talk to me about any of this stuff. If you've got questions, we can talk. But MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism, is the default religion of today. And it doesn't matter if you're Protestant, Catholic, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, everybody, there's a huge chunk that default to this. And what it means is this. 
moralistic. Yes, there is a moral, more, like there is a morality that we should follow, but it's pretty much this, be nice. That's pretty much it. Therapeutic, it's about therapy. God is therapy, in other words, to help me, to help me get over my problems, to help me be a happier person. It's therapeutic. Deism means, deism means there's a God, but he's not really involved in my personal life much. So, so nowadays, most people don't think about constantly pressing into Jesus and loving him and living for him and walking in the Holy Spirit. Most of it is, yes, I'll call on God if I'm in a bind, but then after he helps me, then he can go mind his own business and I just don't think about him too much. This is the default religion of today. And again, this is all, all these things are connected because it's all focused on self. And so the question, the identity question is, I am to be true to myself. We live in, people have called it the age of authenticity, like being authentic, being genuine. That's what's important, right? That's what you need to be authentic to your true self. So what you start to see is that, that all these institutions, all these people, they must affirm me and who I am. It's all inward directed. They must, uh, uh, I've got to find my own spiritual journey. And all these things now have to affirm me in this, uh, especially in the area of sexuality and gender. Who you are is your sexual identity, your, your sexual desires, that's why you have the LGBTQ plus movement because they, they don't just say I have same-sex desires. They say this is who I am. I'm lesbian or gay or transgender or whatever. This is, my, this is me. Our desires now have taken the throne of our lives and they become our identity. All right? And then we have the institutions, and I'll, I'll briefly talk about this. The institutions under a, a, uh, uh, the culture today, the view is this, one, I've got scratched out there. God uses these as means to transform, help us grow. People don't want to grow, again, unless I want to choose it. So the institutions of government, family, marriage, work, church, community, school, all these things are not there to transform me unless I want that. What they're here to do is to affirm me, to help me, again, on my journey, all right? So, again, it's all directed inward toward my happiness and fulfillment. And if they don't help me in my journey, if they don't affirm me, then I leave them. Okay? So, for example, in, in marriage, if my spouse is not sparking joy in my life or giving me happiness, then I leave it. Right? If the marriage is not affirming me, helping me on my journey to become my true self, I leave it. If a child, if the parents are not affirming me in who I am, I leave them. I cut off relationship with them. They're toxic. They're not helping me on my journey of self-discovery. Schools, a good school should be transforming kids. Nowadays, most schools are meant to be safe spaces for sexual minorities, right? The, the school is there to affirm me. If they ever even challenge me with an idea, if, they, if a speaker comes on campus that challenges my thoughts, oh, no, he can't be there. That, that speaker's not allowed. I have to cancel him because I am to be affirmed in who I am. So, so in the workplace nowadays, employers have to affirm sexual identities of sexual minorities. You have this DEI stuff, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion. Diversity training, sensitivity training. It's all about, especially for sexual minorities. Now, Christians don't have to be affirmed, right? Because they're not, 
It has nothing to do with sexual desires because the most important thing is desire and who I am. And nowadays, even churches. Churches oftentimes are, are not looked upon favorably if they challenge people. They confront people in their sins. They call people to die to self. Die to self? I'm not die to self. I'll find a different church that will affirm me, right? That will help me prosper. So with all these, all these institutions, what the culture is saying nowadays, if these institutions place demands on me, they challenge me or pressure me in any way, then I don't need them. I need to rebel against them. I need to defy them because they're hindering me from becoming my true self. And then finally, the standard of right and wrong. Um, how do you know whether what you're doing is right in our culture? Well, there's no absolute. There's God and his word have taken out. So with Christianity, God and his word, God is, is first priority. But in the culture now, the self is first priority. Self is number one. And everything else falls by the wayside. How do you know if what you're doing is right or wrong? There has to be some standard of good, right? For us to, to, to if we want to be happy or, or do whatever, there has to be some standard. How do I know? Well, again, are they helping me be my true self? Are they helping me on this journey to self-discovery? They're helping me reach my potential to be the authentic me. Okay? And, and it used to be, these people used to say this, as long as you're not hurting somebody else, that's fine. But now that's even gone because if you've thought about the, the, the Leah Thomas thing, the transgender guy who is a swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania, this is a, think about this, does this sound like a, a, an oppressed minority to you? A white man who's wealthy and goes to an Ivy League school. Does that sound like a, a, an oppressed minority? No, it doesn't. But he identifies as a woman. Now he now takes precedence over everybody. He is the most oppressed minority now because he identifies as a woman. And so what does, but he is allowed not only to compete against women harming them, he's allowed to change in the women's locker room these women are being traumatized and harmed by his exposure of his privates through these women. But nobody cares about that because his identity is more important than the fact that they're being harmed. So it used to be, as I said, as long as you didn't harm others, now that's gone by the wayside. And if our culture follows the path of the Roman Empire, and the Roman, if you've ever studied the Roman Empire, the, the fall, decline and fall of the Roman Empire, what you find is that things like the acceptance of homosexuality, abortion, even like welfare, lots of people were on welfare, there was a declining work ethic, all these things, exactly what we're doing nowadays. The Roman Empire, the next step, and I don't know if it's going to happen in our culture, but the next step in the Roman Empire was pedophilia. So oftentimes wealthy families, a man would have a boy in the home for him to please him. Now, if our culture follows that, then pedophilia may be the next one. I don't know. I'm not trying to scare us. I'm just saying this is sort of the course of history because now even harm to others is dismissed as long if you, because sexual identity and sexual desires trump everything else, okay? So this is where we are. And what I found is, what I found is when you start understanding all these things about how the modern culture views the self, you start to recognize, and a lot of stuff starts to make sense. I've talked about Disney movies, and I'm going to give you another example. And again, I'm saying you don't have to avoid Disney movies. If you have your kids watch them, I would encourage you to discuss them afterwards. We watch Disney movies. They're fine. But the typical Disney movie, if you've seen them, especially the Disney princess movie, see if I'm right on this. See if I'm right. My village... 
or my community or my tribe or my family, they all place expectations on me. But I need to break free of all these, just like the institutions, right? I need to break free of all these so I can be my true self. I need to break free from all these institutions and all these people that are not pleasing me and affirming me. So I think I used Moana last time. This is Mulan. This is the song Reflection. Think about what she's saying. And think about this in the context of homosexuality, transgender, whatever. Think about the words to this. She's looking in the mirror. She says, look at me. You may think you see who I really am, but you'll never know me. Every day, it's as if I play a part. Now I see if I wear a mask, I can fool the world, but I cannot fool my heart. See, what's inside is the true me. She said, who is that girl I see staring straight back at me? When will my reflection show who I am inside? The, the, what you see is not on the inside, and I need to express myself, to, to express myself to be the true me. She said, I am now in a world where I have to hide my heart and what I believe in, but somehow I will show the world what's inside my heart, and I'll be loved for who I am. Must I pretend that I'm someone else for all time? When will my reflection show who I am inside? And it goes on like that. So the, the culture is putting this pressure for her to conform in a certain way, but she's got to break free of that. She needs to, to defy her family, tribe, community, whatever. And again, you start looking at the Disney Princess movies, they're all like this. Okay, So the authentic me needs to come out, and others need to affirm me in this. As I said, Little Mermaid, Brave, Moana, Frozen, all of them do this. It's all, everybody else is not pleasing me, and they're not affirming me, and I need to... To, to, do, to, to be the real me. They're expecting me to be something I'm not. I need to be my true self. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I'm, I'm wrapping up. The only thing is, in Disney movies, everybody's happy at the end. Right? In Disney movies, everybody is happy. In real life, this does not happen. Because if you think about it, if you have, if every self, right? If every self is all trying to please self, what do you have in a marriage, just in a marriage, when the husband and wife are insistent on them pleasing themselves? See, Christianity says it's outward, right? Christianity says it's we're to love others and to love God. We're to consider others better than ourselves. What happens when every single person is bent on pleasing self and affirming self and being happy? All the time. You know what you end up? You look like, if you've ever seen two or three-year-olds, you can go back in the nursery, put out one toy with two or three-year-olds. One good toy. And, that, and, and see if they all love each other and care about each other. Right? <laughs> it doesn't happen. So when you, when you have the self, see, this is a Christian view, self is outward-directed toward love and toward others. It's, it's loving others. And I want to stress that again. I really want us as a church and individuals to be loving. We talked about this in Sunday school. We got to stand firm, but we need to care. I want our heart, I really want our hearts to break, for especially for young people who are struggling with this. I want us to be broken over this. But at the same time, we can point them to a better way, right? To Jesus Christ. But when you have everybody is trying to please self just in a marriage, what about in a family? If everybody in the family, what about in, in a church? If everybody's trying to please self? What happens if, in, you know what you end up with? 
Think about what you end up with. You end up with conflict. It's not a Disney movie where everybody's happy. You end up with conflict. You end up with anger. You end up with fighting. You end up with lonely, isolated people. You end up with constant arguments. You end up with broken families. You end up with anxiety because I'm constantly trying to please myself and and I can't do it. I'm anxious about that. Or you end up with depression because I don't get what I'm wanting. And this is the goal of life is for me to be happy all the time. You end up, now isn't this our culture today? Broken families, isolated, lonely people who are anxious and depressed. This is why. This is why this is happening. Because people are all focused on self. This is the way of our culture. And for us as Christians, don't we do it too? Don't we evaluate whether this person brings me joy or whether this job or whether this whatever. We always are, we're doing the same thing. We're constantly evaluating whether things bring me pleasure. But the culture we live in today, this is why, like, you know, 60 years ago, Democrats and Republicans would be friends and they'd go out to dinner together and they would, they would, they would compromise. Not anymore. Not anymore. Your job is to hate each other's guts. That's just your job in Washington. So this is where we are. And what I'm saying is you start to see these things, people being isolated. Because if everybody has to get their way all the time, you can't have community. And that's what we have. We have people who are isolated and lonely and depressed and fighting and conflict all the time. All right. Uh, We'll continue next time. I want to close with this. God says, as I said, we don't begin with self. We begin with God. We begin with him. And the beauty of it is when you begin with God, when you begin with Christ, you understand his goodness, his love, he actually brings joy and happiness into your life. And he can form communities that genuinely care about each other. And that's another goal for our church. I want us to be people who are loving one another and reaching out in love. We don't begin with self. We don't begin with our minds because our minds are sinful. Our minds need to be transformed. We don't start with self. We start with God. We start with Jesus Christ. Then we look to ourselves and we ask, okay, how can I love God? How can I serve him? How can I be transformed in my love? How can I grow in my love for Christ? How can I grow closer to him? How can I love others and serve other people and honestly consider others better than myself? So that's what I'm asking, just for us to draw near to the Lord, listen to him. And that's why I want to do this again is just end the sermon by thinking about what God says, about what he says about us and what he says about him. So these are some verses I'm going to ask the guys to put up the slides. Yeah, Romans 6. Listen to what God says here, Romans 6. But what fruit were you getting at that time when you were rebelling against God, with that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What were you getting from that? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, you now belong to God, you belong to Christ, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20? Flee from sexual immorality. Don't go into it. Don't try to please your desires and fulfill all that. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Whom you have from God. You have the Holy Spirit from God. You are not your own. 
You don't belong to yourself. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Jesus Christ paid for you. He owns you. It means he gets to tell you what to do. And when he tells you what to do, it's actually for your good. He loves you. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So Christian, this is the real you. As I say, live into this. This is you. This is the new self. Live into this. Live in a manner consistent with this. And then finally, just as a reminder, God is good. This is what I want. There's a sense in which I care about the culture, but really what I want is us to draw nearer to God through Jesus Christ and get caught up in his righteousness and his holiness and his joy. I want all of us to to go toward God. That's the goal, and he's good. This is Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He's abounding in love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. This is who our God is. And I'm praying that all of us will just be people who rejoice in the Lord's goodness and mercy, that we'll joyfully place ourselves in God's care, that, that God will be first, not self, that we will completely place ourselves in the care of Jesus Christ, just give over the controls of our lives to him, trusting that he loves us, trusting that he died for us, and trusting that he knows what's best for us. That takes faith, right? But that's what I'm calling us to. And that we will live, again, not for ourselves, not to please self, but we will live for him. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the love you have for us. I do pray for folks who are um, struggling with this and and see the the wreckage that can be caused by just living for self. I pray that you'd give us eyes that were open in this. Uh, Help us to be individuals and as a church who really wants to love you, Lord, first of all, and that we would consider others better than ourselves, that we really would just uh, the direction of our lives would be upward and outward. Help us. We need you, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. We can't do this. We cannot do this without you. So help us to be people also who, be, who are people who stand firm in the truth and trust that your word is true and trust you care about us. And we'd be people who are just loving and caring and, and tender with those around us. So help us to display that. We need the fruit of, of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need the fruit of that you can produce, only you can produce in our lives. So do that for the glory of God, for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for being our Savior and and becoming man and dying for us and being raised from the dead. Thank you for the the truth of eternal life. I pray we'd be people who look toward eternity more often instead of just, again, the world around us and pleasing ourselves. So we love you and praise you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. It's now the time.